0: Hello, welcome to Utabeer, Stephen Chicken here, joined down the line by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Opters? David Hartrick? I'm doing very well, mate. How are you? I'm alright, thank you. Yeah, we've got two games to talk about. We've got uh Nottingham Forest, Nil Huddersfield Town 2 to begin with. I think we'll start on this one. Um Not just chronologically, but also because it at least gives us some positives to talk about after the sort of relentless negativity and misery of the the previous few weeks. And we're going to have a little bit more misery later on, I'm sure, uh, when we talk about the Barnsley game. But... Town looked better against Forest, didn't they?
1: Yeah, very iffy start, um, and then they grew into the game, which is the it's sort of almost the precise opposite of yeah. how they've been really, which is bright start and then they faded. And I I thought to be fair, I mean, without blowing my own trumpet, I called it before like, because Forest are Forrest are in that position where they're in absolutely no danger of relegation now, even though it's sort of mathematically possible. And they really are walking around licking Saleros and blinking into the sun, aren't they? And
0: yeah. I'm going to unblow your trumpet by also saying you fancied them to beat Barnsley, just just, just to yeah. make everyone aware of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll put my trumpet back in the case. Um, I thought what was important in that game, and what eventually earned them the 2-0 win, let's be honest, is that they didn't retreat, they didn't Drop deep. They, they actually, you know, they pressed high, they kept a high line and they took some chances, you know, they took some risks in that game and, uh, you know, like it's a business cliche, isn't it? But it is a risk-reward game. And that first goal, I thought, was thoroughly deserved, really, on the balance of play from that first half. Came from a mistake, but lovely finish that from Rowe, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I thought he'd taken it too far and then he, he pulls off that finish at the bottom corner and I think you'd be having a go at him if he'd uh, not put it away for, for sort of wasting that chance, but fair play to him. it was a fantastic finish.
1: Yeah, he, I was a bit like yeah I thought he'd taken it too far, but I think he was just trying to get the goalkeeper to commit. It was yes. it was actually a really sort of composed piece of finishing. Mm. But he was correct me if I'm wrong. They've converted him into a winger haven't they he was always a fullback at youth level.
0: Other way around he was uh, he was sort of a winger and then they've converted him to fullback and then they've put him back to to the wing so he's he's played everywhere up and down both flanks this season Um, and every time we think we've got a handle on what his best position is he goes and puts in a good performance somewhere else or has a bad performance in the one we've just praised him for Um, I think he is inconsistent from what I understand he's always had that inconsistency about him Um, but but yeah, I mean, he 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 did really well against Forrest. I thought he started well against Barnsley as well. Before like the rest of the team faded away, um,
1: he's much better on the front foot than the back foot. It'd be yeah. fair to say yeah. he's he's much I'm much more comfortable with him going forward than defending. But I think I think Row we have to. We talked about what constitutes success at the end of the season and we talked about Ramami Edmonds-Green being part of this squad and having played plenty of minutes and Ryan Schofield uh, the same. I think really we have to put Aaron Rowe in that bracket as well now because... He looks like he's going to be a very useful addition to that squad next season, doesn't he?
0: He does, and yeah, as I say, the fact that he can play up and down either side is is a bonus. Um, we've seen him play well and play badly in sort of all of those roles this season, um, and he does need to sort of improve his consistency. But he'd he'd started on the left of the front three with Holmes on the right, and then and that was sort of when Town had their their bad bad period. And sort of things sort of changed midway through the first half because they made a couple of switches. One of them was they switched Rowan Holmes around, and I think. Holmes looked a lot more comfortable cutting inside um, or playing off O'Brien and Toffolo if he was on, on the on the outside and Roe looked a lot more comfortable playing as a natural right-sided winger in that particular game. The other change they made was that they'd had the back four with uh, with Pippa and Toffolo back in the squad. Toffolo a surprise inclusion and Corbrand said after the game they basically tried to, to try and help Toffolo because he was just back and to stop him having to do quite so much running. They'd started with with sort of the the team would basically send Pippa forward, and they would keep Toffolo tucked in as kind in kind of a back three alongside Keo and Saar. And the team was struggling to find any fluency because that was just a completely alien setup to them. Um, and so then they made the decision midway through the first half to send Toffolo further forward and make Pippa the one who sort of stayed back. And that moved Saar across to the left and moved Keo into the middle. And suddenly they looked a lot more comfortable playing that way and they look better in attack as well because you had, suddenly you had that, that Toffolo and, and O'Brien link up that was has been promising at points this season, plus you had Dwayne Holmes in there sort of making it a three which sort of emulated what they'd done with Coroma earlier in the season so those tweaks, I mean we said last week Dave that they, after the Bournemouth game that they looked so much more comfortable playing in the 4-3-3 late on in that game and we saw that throughout the Forest game, they, they just looked so much better in that system, yeah,
1: I think that uh, I think four through three suits a couple of players in that team in particular who are quite important. Um, but I, I have to say on this game, Steve, my next big note on this game is that Janino Bacuna's goal really, really annoyed me. <laughs> uh, do you know why it annoyed me? Why Be- because it's just another reminder of how good he is. And what he's actually got in his boots when he's on it when he's keen when he's firing when he's he's completely committed It it's he's just such a frustrating player I just <laughs> if he could find a way to even be like a 7 out of 10 each week for him his 7 out of 10 would probably be better than most of people's sort of 9 out of 10 in that squad but he he just can't do it he can't it's I don't know he frustrates the, the hell out of me he's just all the talent in the world but just really struggles to apply it for anything more than moments or a half or a particular game he's up for it because he gets that ball and like, no-one's expecting him to score from that position. No. I mean, I honestly thought what he was going to do was run at the two defenders, but then end up going wide while he waited for people to catch up with him yeah. and then looked across the ball. And he just... I mean, a couple of people said, like, you know, dodgy keeping. I didn't think he was dodgy keeping. No. I mean, he just hits it so hard and from behind the defender as well so that the goalkeeper doesn't get a decent view of it. It's one of them that's basically going past him as he's just getting himself set in position for Ex- it. Exactly.
0: what I was going to say. I think the slow motion probably doesn't do Samba any favours there, but when you see it at full speed, he has got no chance.
1: No, So, but it just, it really annoyed me. It really annoyed me, because you just think, why can't you just do that more? Because it he has these moments there was that goal against Blackburn last year there was mm. that spell where he was coming off the bench and he really looked like he was playing like he had a point to prove under the Cowlis it was clear that they'd had a go at him and it was clear he really wanted to, to prove them wrong but he just he just you know like he then follows it up with a performance against Barnsley that was just a nothing performance again mm. just so annoying yeah. if somebody harnesses him properly he's going to be like a he's going to have I'm convinced somewhere at some point he's just going to have this unbelievable season where he scores about 15 goals and load of assists and he's player of the year. But it's, it's just not going to be at this football club, is it?
0: No, no, it doesn't seem that way. And, you know, this is a comment we've made about him for... Two full seasons now, um, and yeah, I mean, w- I guess we'll, we'll, we're we're going to talk about the midfield when we get onto Barnsley, but yeah, I mean, it's that none of this is new, unfortunately, and it is. Um, th- th- I guess moments like that are why you continue to pick him despite all of the frustrations, but it just doesn't come around often enough, unfortunately, and it's a shame because even when he's we're talking about something good he's done, we're almost sort of having a go at him, <laughs> and that's uh, that's a shame.
1: Yeah, but there's no. The problem is there's no other context to put it in is there no, does not. <laughs> that's that's the issue it would be really it'd be really nice not to but it, the, the sort of evidence of being frustrated and why it annoyed me was there literally last night so it's not like i'm just taking wild pot shots and it's not like i'm saying anything i've said before but i thought Town's game management in that game was really good, um, second half, and that has not been something we've been able to say very much this season. Um, I thought they saw it out really well. I thought Corbin made positive changes at the right time to make sure they got the result, and it was... I wouldn't say it was a perfect away performance, but you have to take into account Forest themselves. But it was as sort of perfect a, a, an away performance as they've had this season, I think. You know, it was up there with, definitely with Millwall and it was up there with uh, QPR, I would have said.
0: Yeah, I didn't think... I didn't think it was especially stellar as you say I think you have to take into account that until they went two goals down Forrest were you know playing in flip-flops and reading a copy of of whatever you know a Gilly cooper book or whatever but is that a person is that a thing i don't know you're the publisher dave is Jilly cooper a real person or have i made that I
1: can, up i can confirm that books
0: are real cool um but you know you, you can only play against what you're up against as as they always say and as you say they forest did put them under pressure later on and town dealt with it really well they stood up to it um, I thought defensively they were solid. They they didn't look in major trouble at at, at any point of the game. You didn't you didn't worry that they were going to suddenly go from two 0 up to, to two all in the last ten minutes. They always looked um, fairly not comfortable would be the wrong word because they were under a lot of pressure. But you you sort of felt like they were going to see it out, which we've not said a lot this season.
1: Yeah, and it, it was it was good to see. I the reason I think it's a fairly sort of complete away performance or it's up there is if you go away from home um, keep clean sheet score twice and never really look threatened then you can't really ask for more than that can you Um, and again it's just frustrating that town haven't been able to do that four or five times this season you know rather than each one being so spread out Um, yeah but I yeah I just I just felt it was a much more comfortable performance I think you're right I think the formation suited them better and the big difference of course is they get that break in the first half when they're playing well which is another thing they've you know they've not had this season they've played well but not been able to get their noses in front at the right time and stay there so I, I did think defensively they were aided by Glenn Murray needing a Zimmer frame to control and turn the ball these
0: days much as I love him do you love him I've always thought you were quite cool on him after uh, after his departure his, his holiday in Croydon we retired didn't he left Brighton retired for a bit and then came back to us but um, no I I mean it was it was town's best attacking performance for some time you know it was yeah. it was their best since Cardiff and other than Cardiff it's the highest xg they've had since um since they sort of battered Bristol City and still managed to lose um at Ashton Gate back in January so yeah. yeah I mean that that was encouraging and I think that tells you a lot that that again what we said last week that they just feel, everything just feels a lot more instinctive in that four three three. And while we're patting ourselves on the back, you said that it seemed like it was time for Danny Ward to get a run in the side. And fair play to him. He came on for Fraser Campbell and, and had a, a, a good outing, I thought. Nothing amazing, but I thought he looked... He looked good uh, in his sort of uh, fifty minutes on the pitch.
1: Yeah, um, I thought I thought he was good. I mean, he, he technically got an assist, didn't he? Yeah, I think for the second goal. But it's a bit of a. I don't know if you've seen the very famous Ryan Mason assist to Gareth Bale. <laughs> Have you seen that? One? I've not, no. <laughs> He basically gives it to Gareth Bale. It's like a five-yard pass, and Gareth Bale takes it past two players and leathers it in from about 40 yards, and you think, (laughs) "Mm, is that really an assist? Um, But yeah, I thought he looked much sharper. I do do think it's time to give him a run, and I was... I'll be honest with you, I was disappointed that he didn't start against Barnsley. I know they've got to manage his minutes, but even when he came on against Barnsley, you know, you could see how much sharper he was just in that run, you know, where he tried to close the keeper down last night Mm -hmm. and he was properly at full pace, which we've seen so rarely this season. He's always played as though he's trying to protect himself and he looks much more at ease with his body and a a bit more confident in his ability to do things now. So I, I think... It would be it would be a real sort of success story if he could finish the season in the side and potentially grab a goal or even two. It would just give everybody a bit of a lift. I think really.
0: I don't think it. Is, I don't think he's. Um, I don't think him being left out against Barnsley from the starting lineup was about managing his minutes because Corbran has said that he's posting the best physical numbers he has all season. Which you know I know he isn't saying a lot because he's missed most of the season. But it's you know it backs up what you're saying about him looking that much sharper. And I would agree with that and he did start against Norwich uh, which obviously wasn't a game he was particularly involved in um, so I, I think it was just a selection choice and um... Which which we'll come on to, but obviously you know Toffolo being back in the side was a, a massive boon, and um, where they are having to manage minutes is is with him and Pippa. Um, you know, Pippa hasn't played any of the midweek games recently. He's only it seems like he's only capable of playing once a week at the moment, um, which is a shame because I was looking at his town's record without Pippa in a starting lineup earlier, and I was <laughs> a bit horrified. So the games that that Pippa hasn't started starts out all right. It's the three nil against Millwall. Uh, where he came off the bench and scored the second goal. But then he was absent for the 4-3 against Stoke... He was absent for the 0-0 against Wickham, the 3-2 win against Middlesbrough, and then he was absent for the 3-0 defeat to Cardiff, the 5-0 defeat to Bournemouth, the 7-0 defeat to, to Norwich, and then the recent defeats, home defeats to Bournemouth and Barnsley. So Town have conceded 24 goals in the nine games he hasn't started this season, which I've checked is a lot of goals.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot of goals for a team who don't score that many goals, isn't it? In particular, yeah, it is.
0: You know, obviously, Toffolo is, his numbers aren't quite as dramatic. But when you look at the side without Pippa or Toffolo, you know they've played they played three games with neither man in the side, with Barnsley being the third, and they haven't picked up a single point out of any of them. And mm-hmm. having both of them in the side makes such a, a massive difference to their fortunes. You, you know, you, this came from someone on Twitter was asking me, "What's it like with?" both of them with one of them and with none of them. And with both of them, it's 1.26 points per game. With one of them, it's 1.06 points per game. And with neither of them, it's no points per game. Um, Everything sort of goes, everything good that Town do. And we said this last week in the five conclusions, we were trying to think of, you know, what have Town done consistently well this season? There's been things they've done well in spells, but what have they done consistently well this season? And the only thing I could really think of was the fullback play when both of them are available.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you're exactly right. Um, I think the thing is with Toffolo in the side in particular, it, everybody in the defence has just got a little bit more confidence that anything coming down that side is going to get dealt with. So Nabisar doesn't feel like he has to come across and leave that gap. Keo's not panicking because he's seeing Saar moving. It it all just works a little bit better, doesn't it? And that is, I think the the thing. We talked on the last pod about simplifying things, just simplify it right down, and that 4.3 4-3, feels like the, the most sort of uncomplicated, simple, natural-fitting system for town's best 11, really, and sometimes you have to go, do you know what, there's no point trying to be too clever here, just play the best players where they're most comfortable
0: and in fairness that's the system that that Corbran coached them into uh, um, at the start of the season which I think is is why they did well and and that's the argument that we had it's the system they had their best run in as well Mm, yeah 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 exactly and that's sort of i think that's sort of why i know that there's a lot of pressure on core and we had this discussion last week but that is why i'm sort of willing to still willing to sort of say give him the summer because i think if they can get back to that you know the the with their best players in the side you've got pippa toffolo karoma iting in the side they are a they've been a playoff standard team um and i think having all of those injuries at the same time has has really hurt them this season and I don't think it's again a total excuse. I think this still should have been better regardless than that and we'll come on to Barnsley in a minute. Um but I mean it's it's made such a massive difference. Um but speaking of, of the full backs I think you and I before the team sheets came out before the Barnsley game we're talking about actually this is quite a difficult selection for Corbran because does he stick with the four three three that that beat Forrest or does he go to a, a three at the back two up top um, that like uh, Coventry played when they beat Barnsley on Sunday and we sort of agreed before the team sheet came out that actually that's not an easy decision to make and ultimately because Pippa and Toffolo neither of them were able to play Play, that made his decision for him. Uh, you know, he 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 obviously I, I think we've we've talked about he doesn't particularly want to play Jaden Brown if he can help it and he seems not especially keen on playing D'Amico De Haney at the moment either. So I think that kind of made up his mind that it had to be the the three five two. Uh and with Sonogo back fit, I think there was a certain amount of logic in that. Um but it it didn't really work out. <laughs>
1: no it didn't Um, I think we have to be completely fair here and and we've given I think we've been going about 20 minutes and we've given town a lot of praise for that performance against Forest the performance against Barnsley I thought was I don't think he necessarily picked the wrong formation because I can completely understand the logic of it Mm. but I think there were a lot of players last night had pretty poor games and the midfield in particular was I mean it's worth just having a moment on both. Barnsley. before we dissect town in that Barnsley are obviously one of the stories of this championship season they play in a very specific way um, they are all about not it's not particularly winning ugly because I think that does it a disservice but they are the best way I can describe it is they look like a Danny Cowley team in year three of Danny Cowley's time with the club in that they are big physical high press hard running and they have a very specific game plan Um, and the game plan with town was they were going to go long more often than not when it did come into midfield they were going to make it scrappy they were certainly going to compete for every ball and they were going to try and go after certain players in the town side knowing they didn't like being under pressure and to be perfectly honest with you (laughs) They got it more or less spot on because for instance they were doubling up on Dwayne Holmes nearly every single time because they felt he would lose the ball and he really struggled didn't he say? Yeah
0: he had a poor game We need to talk about Dwayne Holmes I think while we're on the subject because he's not had a, a very happy run in the side since his return to town. I think there's been a lot of games where he struggled uh, and you know there's, there's not been many where he's thrived other than you know obviously that Swansea game stands out um, but he's He's really struggled. But I think you and I are sort of of a mind that circumstances have not been particularly in his favour. I don't think that excuses everything. And we'll talk about the Barnsley goal in a few moments. And there's been other games where he's just had an absolute stinker. Um, But I think things have... Him getting shuttled about the team and played in different roles hasn't helped him at all, has it?
1: No, he's not a wing back, and he's currently basically having to play as a wing back, and he never looks comfortable. But like the fact that Barnsley identified him last night as someone to to whatever part of the pitch he's on to go and press really does say a lot, really, about his current form. And the thing is, I. I think longer term I think he's quite a decent signing. Mm-hmm. Um and I think in Town's best midfield he could well feature in there but yeah, he's just not a wing back.
0: Well the, he's yeah, not the... a
1: wing back. He's not a, a second striker. These are two things we now know from this season. Yeah,
0: he's not a winger, he's not a number 10. He's he's a number 8 and people have said and they're not being flippant they've said what is it that he's good at that you know people have asked me on Twitter and the th- the thing he's best at for me when I did the scouting and looked at him and from bits we've seen for town, although not much, uh, is he's a box-to-box number eight. He is that He's that Lewis O'Brien role, where or Lewis O'Brien last season, more accurately, where he gets the ball yeah. on the he gets the ball on the edge of one box of your own box and will ride a challenge or two and get into the opposition half and then find a simple layoff for someone else to to carry the ball into the penalty box. That's what he's really good at. But you need him in those central areas where he's got sort of space to run into. This absolutely was not his his game at all, and particularly not playing out wide. Um, but i I do feel for him because, as we talked about last week, we talked about things not being instinctive for players and you know there being no fluency because things have changed so much, and I think no one has suffered from that more than Dwayne Holmes. I would back him once we've got summer under the belt and he's got if he has a more defined role next season. I agree with you, I think he could be good, but I think he's. <sighs> Again, I'm not trying to let him off the hook altogether because there have been games where he's been really poor, regardless of any any other mitigating circumstances. Um, But I think he just needs a run in his best position and we'll start to see why they signed him. And unfortunately, he's been a victim of his own versatility.
1: Yeah, and now he's being targeted tactically, that is not helping him at all either. Um, So, yeah... Barnsley are a funny side in that you said it before kick-off last night that when everybody you play comes away and says we made them look good, <laughs> that's something they're doing. It's not a coincidence. It's not a one-off. And the the derby, it is it is very, very simplistic. It is simplistic in its design, and it's just designed to draw the, the, the maximum from its players. And I felt town last night. <sighs> I don't know if it was do you think it was a deliberate game plan to go long themselves
0: yeah, yeah. I don't think you pick Sonogo um, up top, uh, mm. particularly with Ward fit, unless that's your plan. And I thought I thought the first 20, 25 minutes or so, you could see what they were trying to do because Sonogo kept... I thought, well, they've put Sonogo up with Karoma because they want the two of them close together and Sonogo's going to be knocking it down for Karoma. But actually, no, it was... Sonogo was going out wide to the right and was putting flick-ons for, for Rowe. He was trying to occupy men so that Aaron Rowe had space to run into from wing-back. And I thought the first sort of twenty minutes or so, they without creating a huge loads of chances, they were they were at least getting space down that side. But Barnsley cottoned onto that um, fairly quickly. I think they, they might have put an extra man on row um, or whatever whatever the reason was. Town stopped finding any success um, through that gambit and then you know i think between when i looked at the numbers i don't have it in front of me but i think it was something like between the 24th and 73rd minutes town didn't have a single shot <laughs> and yeah. and that tells you a lot about it it was the the complete opposite of that forest game um and i
1: just i just think that was uh... I just think it was a strange decision to go long against them if I'm honest. I I understand it from the point of view of trying to break the press. So mm-hmm. obviously one of the things that one of the things you learn in football coach school <laughs> If such a thing existed, would be that one, like, fairly simplistic way to get over a high press is just to go long. But, like, you could see in the warm up, Steve, me and you both looked at each other and said, Barnsley are absolutely massive. Yeah. And they were, aren't they? They, you know, they've got some proper giants in that side. And it just felt like the wrong strategy to me. And it felt like a strategy that was. Prime to end up in town, having five shots that go on Barnsley having twenty-one, which is exactly what happened.
0: I don't know. The, I would say that Coventry played pretty much the same way. Um, they had sort of a, the and their big man had a, a great um, game against. Uh, from, from looking at the footage and, and looking at the stats, had a really good game against Barnsley on Sunday, and that was sort of the secret to to them getting that two 0 will against Barnsley. So I can understand why you'd look at that. I mean, Valerian Ishmael even said himself before the game that a lot more teams have started um uh, have started to play long against them and i think that's because teams have started to cotton on that they aren't going to beat the press by playing through them so they've got to go over them well um, they're going
1: toe-to-toe with them not aren't they that's the thing that's yeah what they're trying to do
0: the, the problem is is that that's not town's game at all um, No, they're, they're no. just and... they're just not good at it you know when you got lewis o'brien jonathan hogg aaron Rowe. Dwayne Holmes in your side you're not gonna do them for for height and you're not gonna win those aerial battles and Barnsley's success is all built on not only are they good at those aerials but they're also really really good at the second balls that's anyone you speak to about Barnsley yeah. they'll tell you they're so good at winning those second balls so I where I am sympathetic though is is what we said earlier which is without Pippa and Toffolo I don't think 4-3-3 was an option for them and that was I think that, that made it almost the only thing that Corbrand could try. And as I say, initially, I thought it was working quite well. I understood why he stuck with it after the break. Um,. <sighs> But at the same time, I think they, they probably should have given it five, ten minutes after the break and then gone, do you know what, this clearly isn't working now. We need to change it up. Um,
1: the, the problem... Uh, one of the problems I had is Barnsley play a 3-4-3. Town were in a 3-5-2. So you would think at the very least they would make midfield congested. But Barnsley just had continually had a lot of time and space on the ball and a lot of space to break into and I just felt that it wasn't just the midfield I just felt there were several players in that townside just weren't on it last Mm -hmm. night you know I thought it was Sonogo's poorest game since he's been at the club in that he nothing stuck to him last night nothing he he was had a real battle on his hands and he didn't get anywhere near winning it but that whole midfield just did not function at all it, it never really got going i thought it was i still think hog is player of the season by a long way but last night was not his game he struggled bakuna had a nothing game yet again homes we've already talked about roe got hooked and was really struggling because they were forcing him on the back foot and as we've said that's not not where he wants to be he wants to be breaking into the space ahead of him and I thought they did a pretty good job on Lewis O'Brien as well to be perfectly honest mm-hmm. with you Steve they stuck a man on him and he really struggled to to get any sort of sense of freedom at any point in the game and i, I looked i looked on twitter after the after the game and, and listen i know what twitter's like i know it's not where common sense lives but i i just thought that last hour of that game town were pretty poor and There were a lot of people who agreed with me and a lot who went further than that, if I'm brutally honest with you. I don't think it was their poorest outing of the season or anything like that, but it just felt like another game that had passed them by and that they caused Mm -hmm. their own problems because, I mean, in particular, that goal was... Well, it's just as there's about three different errors in it isn't aren't there
0: Uh yeah i mean the so ball comes in uh it gets i think it's Keo gets a, a touch to it and it deflects up loops up into the air and uh, bakuna and sar seem to look at each other and go oh are you going for that oh no i'll yeah af- after you mate neither of them go for the ball i think schofield if he's on his toes, maybe comes for that as soon as it loops up off the defender and, and gets to it, yeah. or at least gets a punch to it, or at least sets himself up for the shot better because he doesn't particularly get across. But the reason he doesn't get across is because Dwayne Holmes is is on the post where DK was was sort of standing when the ball first came in. So he, Dwayne Holmes can either go to DK and try and cut it out, or he can stay on the post and try and block the shot. He does neither. <laughs> he watches DK... <laughs> (laughs) he watches DK move towards the ball and steps sort of diagonally out and to the left so he's he moves the other side of the post to get out of the way and it's like and and if any one of those players had done what they were supposed to do I think probably it's not a goal but all four of them (laughs) make baffling decisions and it ends up in the net and I thought, after that, I thought Town were not playing great up to that point, you know, but I didn't, they were obviously, you know, it was a difficult game. I thought they were at least competing well. They never looked like they were going to get a goal, but it felt like if they kept competing, they might get a nil-nil, and I think that would have been fine. And then after that, it was, you know, the floodgates sort of opened. Schofield looked all at sea, lost all his confidence, and Schofield's had a really good run recently. Um, You know, he had that wobble earlier in the season where he had a few poor games and he's looked much much better previous in the previous few games obviously he missed the Norwich game so he missed that (laughs) uh ignomious display and he's generally looked a lot better but he he had a and I was I had him down for a seven before the goal and then I ended up giving him a four because after the goal there were two more instances where he he came for um he came for balls and sort of got nowhere near them ended up flapping at them and town had to make clearances off the line so just it, they they
1: targeted him with corners as well they were basically hanging every corner under the mm. crossbar well, weren't they
0: one of them hit the crossbar twice it bounced off the bar yeah. twice
1: so but uh, the other thing on that goal I, I i think would be remiss if we didn't say is is even when the ball, when the cross loops up, even accounting for all of that, there's still a chance for it to be cleared. But Bakuna just sort of wafts a foot in the direction yeah. of the ball. It it's a classic case of a striker wanting it more. And uh, if you're a if you're an analyst watching that back. <laughs> You'll be so frustrated. There's a very famous goal Ray Houghton scores at Euro 88 against England, where individually every single one of the back four makes an individual error. All of them, and it almost reminded me of that last night. Mm -hmm. That you've got everybody is not doing what they should be doing. But the Holmes one is just is just a really. I mean, you can't really account for it because he does just literally just walk past the post. Really weird into into a space where the ball is never going to end up either. Yeah, so it. And then after that, I thought Town had a really bad ten minutes. I mean, they they dreadful could and possibly should have been two, potentially even three. Nil down, um, and they managed. I think they made the changes which changed the shape enough to make a difference. But Carol Lighting coming on just. <sighs> it just reinforced to me that there's nobody else in this squad can do what Carol Eiting does because mm. he completely changed the shape of that midfield and the shape of the attack and there's nobody else in that midfield can do what Alex Vallejo does which is a similar role to Eiting but from much further back and he's better defensively and just sort of projecting forward to next season they they need to find, they either need to keep both or find exact clones of both um, because you could see when Eiting came on just how I mean, everything just changed, didn't it? Everybody went up by 5%. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they really... At his best, it's no coincidence that Town were at their best, is it? When he you know, when I went on that brilliant run, scored a couple of goals and, and Town were doing really, really well. So it would be nice to see if they could try and keep him for another season, but who knows to be frank. Yeah,
0: I mean when you look at the numbers he apart from Jonathan Hogg is the player they've missed most in terms of, of points per game and goals scored, you know, minutes per goal scored and, and basically every metric you want to throw at it. Town are a worse team without Carol Lighting in the side, and it's for the reasons you've said. You know, I think you've been reading my drafts, Dave, because I'm, I'm literally writing a piece for Friday morning where I'm talking about this, where, you know, only Vallejo comes anywhere close to an informed Lighting's ability to pick out a pass that no one else would even see, let alone yeah. consider, let alone have the technique to pull off successfully. Um And... He, I'm sure if they could have put him on for more than the 15 minutes at the end, they would have done because the game was crying out for his ability to sort of make half a second for himself on the ball. You know, he's he's one of those players who everything seems, and it's not not a coincidence he comes from Ajax because the other player who sort of springs to mind for this, albeit in a different position, is Dennis Bergkamp. But he just has that ability to make everything look like it's going in slow motion um, because he just somehow makes loads of time for himself, even though he doesn't seem to be moving terribly quickly um and yeah as you say i think there were plenty of instances in this game and i was less down on this performance than some people because for all the xg is absolute dog plops um you know 0.26 language (laughs) it's the second lowest xg they've had all season um 0.26 it's the the watford away game where they basically played for a nil nil is the only game where they've had lower but i think that is both both tells the story perfectly in that they didn't create many chances to shoot but also doesn't tell the whole story in that they had opportunities on the counter-attack but they never found the final ball on them Um, and that has been a problem throughout the entire second half of the season Um, I think Bakuna is particularly bad for it Um, and it's weird because you would think that with the technique Bakuna has got that he would be the one who would be able to pick those those passes where you've got a a 3-on-2 or a 2-on-1 in your face and you just need to, to slot it through, and, and you're into the box. And for some reason, they just never seem to be able to execute those passes. Um, yeah. I is... would,
1: I, one thing I did think last night is that, again, projecting forward a little bit, I I would really like to see a fully fit Carol lighting playing with a fully fit Danny Ward ahead of him. Yeah. Um, just because of the pace Ward has, and because... Ward likes to basically, he doesn't want to stay on the shoulder, what he likes to do is just, he's quite clever with his run, you saw with that little one that Eiting tried to dink over to him yesterday, he wants to just peel off the back and come round and across to beat the offside trap and yeah,
0: it, it it's another one of this season's great what ifs isn't it? Mm-hmm. They've both been fit second half of the season, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's as you say it it I think the the main takeaway though is if they can't keep biting they desperately need a player like him and I know that every, yeah. I know that everyone wants those you know, those Wes Hula types and they don't grow on trees, unfortunately. You know, that's what Alex Pritchard should be for town and he just never yeah. has he just never has been. Um but they they desperately need someone with that. It's not just picking the final pass either though, it's having the composure on the ball. Which is why yeah. we which is why we're comparing to Vallejo, just having that calmness and that because that that midfield battle yesterday was I mean it was so congested and uh, you know Barnsley did their jobs really well and it's worth saying and we sort of touched on this earlier the lads from Barnsley were saying that's their best performance they've put in for a while and and you know they've not been in a particularly bad form or anything um, but they said that's the best Barnsley played for a long time I th- I, I think credit to Barnsley because they showed exactly why they are in, where they are in the table but yeah just town just couldn't get a second on the ball and nah. yeah I would have got a, a long way to helping them do that. He would, he would. But
1: let's put the Barnsley game to bed. Okay,
0: night night, night night. Um, yeah, we've had the European Super League news over the weekend. That's come and gone what's, since we last podcasted. What's new in football, Steve? <laughs> nothing, nothing much. It's been and gone. Um, yeah, I mean, flipping act. This sort of emerged on Sunday, and by by Tuesday night, it was it was uh, gone. So that was very nice. Um, but. We don't want to sort of dwell on this for, forever and ever because, you know, a billion sports journalists, fans, pundits have already had their say. I think everyone's on the same page that it's a great thing that, that this thing has been knocked into a, a cocked hat uh, pretty much straight away. Um, but it does have some, well, it has a lot of relevance to Huddersfield Town. It has a lot of relevance to a lot of clubs further down the pyramid who maybe think it, you know, it wouldn't have affected them because... <sighs> That, that is the whole point isn't it is that it it just puts it removes the 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 ability to dream of those teams but worse than that it could have had a, a huge impact on the the distribution of revenues had it gone ahead
1: yeah um I I think the whole thing was motivated by greed um, and it was I, I should say, I think there's a version of the European Super League that could actually work one day. I almost think it's a natural progression, if I'm brutally honest with you. But this was almost like they set out to create the worst possible version that could exist. Uh, that would antagonise the most people and would also do the most damage because what you have to realise as a Huddersfield Town fan is that like, th- there are solidarity payments, there are parachute payments, there are other schemes that are so dependent on TV money that what this lot wanted to do was basically just just hoard as much as they possibly could they would have damaged the actual you know value of the premier league itself so therefore the tv rights money goes down so therefore the money going down the pyramid is less if the premier league rights are worth less than the championship rights are worth less it was literally a threat to the entirety of football and it was an abomination, and I'm glad it died a horrible death with fire.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me too. I thought the resignations were, were absolutely hilarious, because I was convinced, I think like a lot of people, that this was a negotiation tactic for the ongoing Champions League um, deal that, that's been talked about. And I think those resignations made clear that, that it wasn't. They, they were quite serious about this, and their position is effectively untenable now. Uh, you know, there's. I don't think anyone can trust a word any of those the people that that, that concocted this scheme um, say from now on because they did it all in secret. They did it all against the worst interest of the game. They didn't even have the players on board. That is such a condemnation of you know the. the I can't remember who it was that tweeted it, but the fact that they had corporate lawyers and investors on board and none of the managers, none of the players, none of the fans <laughs> tells yeah. you everything about the priorities of these of these people. And yeah. I think the fact that it fell down, and this is not an original observation, but it's a, a massive triumph for um, for fan power. Um, I think I think sometimes that is I think there's a. I think possibly that's overstated I think probably it's more of a, a triumph for player power <laughs> than it is fan power to be honest uh, because I think they would have ridden out the, the fan disgust if the players had gone yeah alright we're well up for that pay us a bit extra great um, which they obviously didn't do but it does show that it nevertheless shows that, that the fans do have a say on things and we're, we're terrible in this country for organising I think and there are organisations that try and do it so there's fan supporters Europe there's the FS Or the FSF, as I believe they are now. Yeah. Um, And you know off you know member organizations like uh, of the fsa include htsa these are groups that are there to represent the fans and i think um in this country we're really bad at getting on board with those kinds of things not just in football but in general life you know we used to have a a, a proud tradition of of unions standing up against uh against you know uh cor- oh, cor- <laughs> of corporate <laughs> oppression and that has sort of fallen i know they still exist but sort of fallen by the wayside over the previous few decades and um i think we're quite whatever you think about that one way or the other i think it sort of shows that we are generally as a nation quite bad at getting ourselves organized and i hope that this is a catalyst for for more of that and i think that you know although HCSA's agenda yes it includes a lot of things that are really really valuable but quite boring to talk about like organizing coach travel for away trips uh and I get that that isn't glamorous or or, or exciting or making the 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 stadium environmentally sustainable which is a fantastic project that they've done but isn't exactly going to capture the imagination of your you know your average match going fan but I think I would hope that all of this has made people realise just how influential fans can be when they get organised, and that it is worth being engaged with those kinds of organisations. Um, and it doesn't have to be formally affiliated like HTSA. It can be groups like Proud Terriers or the Cowshed Loyal, uh, who are obviously you know uh, massive and vocal. And, um, you know, any kind of collective voice, uh, Huddersfield Town disabled supporters, any kind of collective voice is bigger and has more sway with clubs than, you know, a thousand tweets from a thousand different people.
1: It does. And I think that... I think the problem... One of the problems we have is we have a... There has been a culture for some clubs (laughs) where they want to mobilise fans because they haven't signed a midfielder for £40 quid. Uh, So I think there's always context applied for every club. But I think joining fan groups and supporters groups regardless of who you support, is a good thing to do. You you want to have a voice and these are the platforms that are the fans' voice and they do matter. And something like the super league was like a huge story that affected every single football club and there is a world steve where you're right they would have ridden out the fan disgust if they'd got the players on board um and the managers on board they would have ridden it out and this would be a you know this would be a war basically (laughs) across the leagues and you if you want to have a say you would have to be out there doing something about it so yeah i fully support fan groups and they clubs need to be accountable and that's not just Huddersfield Town that's every single football club in the land um, so yeah if it has stirred you or moved you in any way then I would urge you to join one of them
0: and you know th- there's things that you can do so there's an example that we've had just from the Barnsley game um, so the company that sponsored the shirts for that game is a debt collection uh, company and I know a lot of people find that quite disappointing Tasteful, um, and I would agree with that. To be quite honest, um, and this sort of came to the fore because of their tweets. Now they they claim that their account was hacked during the U.S. election, and that that is the reason that those uh, horrible tweets exist on their Twitter account and they've not been able to get into their account and and delete them and putting that to one side, you know, people are still saying to me and I've had people emailing me and messaging me saying, well, regardless of all of that, it's still, I still think it's not great for the club and not in keeping with the club's values that they are accepting sponsorship from a debt collection company. And especially in the current climate. And those are issues where it's a gray area, right? Because, and and I would include in that, um, you know, gambling sponsorship or, uh, when it was allowed, sort of alcohol and tobacco sponsorship yeah. on shirts, or or um, payday loans companies as well, um, and if fans find those things distasteful the outlet they have to to tell the club we don't want that is through fan groups and through things like altogether together town meetings um and you would hope that that clubs if fans get together and express their distaste in enough numbers would say okay fine well we are going to commit to not having gambling sponsorship any um or whatever it might be and that's not to get on at this particular sponsor you know they're a perfectly legal company and all of these things but if you do find it objectionable the way to raise that is through fan groups um, it's just going to be so much more effective yeah and
1: who knows what is around the corner with with Huddersfield Town with the Championship with English Football you've you've no idea what is ahead what is the next thing because there will be some drama ahead I'd suggest coming out of the pandemic at all levels so being prepared prepared and and being with like-minded people um I think goes goes a long way I think that I think fan culture in this country this is perhaps the kick up the kick up the bum it needs a bit because i think compared to a lot of countries our fan culture is just inherently lazy if i'm honest steve from a from an organisational point of view i'm not talking about going nowhere else in in the world has the level of professional football we do and the attendances we do but in terms of mobilising in times like this it's often it, listen i've supported a club that has been a crisis club and it's it's often a case of you sort of really mobilizing and galvanizing people when the horse has already bolted yeah that's the and it, it it's really really difficult at that point so, I genuinely think that it's a very good thing to do, even when times are brilliant. <laughs> you know, even when you're living high on the hog, I still think it's an excellent thing to do to be part of a fan group and to be part of a supporters' association because you never know when you're going to need them and what
0: for. High on the hog sounds like the Huddersfield Town midfield god you've been wanting to say that for ages haven't you yeah i i want high and homes to play together so that the fans can do the seven dwarves thing anyway there you go um no it's <laughs> yeah You're
1: such a simple man
0: yeah no it's um yeah anyway but these are important things and yeah as i say when times are good it is <laughs> you know coach travel and things like that but i think it's important to to try and keep a hand in these things so that if you know, the midden meets the windmill, um, as it has done over the weekend, you are ready to mobilise, exactly as you say, and you're not scrambling around um, trying to, you know, find signatures. And Huddersfield Town have a proud history of fan. Uh, uh, what's the word? Fan protest because of the you know the the move to the proposed move to Leeds um, about a hundred or so years ago, uh, and that is sort of often pointed to as one of the first major instances of of uh, of a successful fan movement and fan pressure rescuing a club where they raised a huge amount of money and and got the club out of trouble and stopped them from from being moved by unpopular owners because uh, not to sort of disavow anyone of any notion that the game was all pure and snow and you know pure as the. Journey, and snow before but um on the whole club owners have always treated clubs the way that they uh mm-hmm. that, that that they do now and have always looked out for their own interests above anything else and that is not a comment on the current ownership of Woodersfield Town, but more just a reflection of uh just how football is run in this country and if there is more support involvement, whether that is formalised by statute or whether it is just through fans taking the, the uh the choice to be more involved, then I think that is gonna be a good thing.
1: It is. And hopefully the the fallout from all of this is that <laughs> I, I won't get political, but if our government is to get involved in football, I hope that goes the right way <laughs> and that we do end up with... Or
0: the left way.
1: Ah. Yeah, and th- <laughs> we remain balanced here. If we do end up with some form of legislation, we do end up with fan ownership on boards, which I am a huge
0: proponent of, then maybe this has all been for something. Fingers crossed. Right then, uh, we've got Blackburn at the weekend. I actually think Town are going to win that game.
1: (laughs) Yes, Blackburn are heard at the moment <laughs> they they really are. Um, I think the the thing about Blackburn is they the only thing I would be cautious of they've got a couple of individuals in that side who are brilliant who can you know mm. take a game away from you on their own basically but
0: they've got a lot town, of goals I know the the, the injuries they've got have, have, have sort of taken a lot away but they do still have a lot of goals.
1: Yeah they do have a lot of goals in them but Town, that you're right that is a game that Town can win. This We've is... not always said that this season but no. that is a town if they if they play the right way and get on the front foot that game is is there for them yeah
0: and mathematical safety is not quite there yet we've been saying for weeks we think that they're pretty much safe now and I think we'd agree with that particularly after Derby's result I think we're fairly as it stands fairly laid back about that and if they town basically make up three you know increase their gap to Derby by three more points at any point between now and the end of the season, then it's it's done. Um, yeah. It's mathematically done. So I think we're not worried uh, in that regard, but there's a long summer ahead um, for all the reasons we talked about. You know, the, the, the squad depth just isn't there. The fact that we're talking about Pippa and Toffolo and how badly they've been missed and how badly Aiton's been missed and, you know, we've been going on about it all season I, 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 and this is why I'm sort of dropping it in at the end rather than making it the theme of the, the podcast. But they've got a massive summer ahead and I think we all just want to get there at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah, we do. It, it's it's this season has been far tougher than it should have been and I think it's I think it's taken its toll on you, me, supporters, people at the club. I think I think because of COVID, because of the compressed timeline because of last season, because of the managerial change, because of so so many things. Everybody just needs a week or two off from Huddersfield Town, don't they? Yeah,
0: definitely. Um uh, yeah, I mean that the... They have got it wrong this season, and I think the club have, have admitted that, and that doesn't make it right that they've admitted it, but you would hope that lessons will be learnt this summer, but we will see. And on that note, <laughs> no, Dave, you've been doing a lot of publicity for Silver Linings this week, your uh, your book about Bobby Robson's England. Can you tell us a bit about that once again, uh, like a renegade master? <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, the, it's actually out on Monday, so I've done uh, a
1: fair few pods and various things. That are, some are out, some are coming out, some are going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. It's about Bobby Robson's England and his eight years in tar- in charge of England, which were a bit full on, <laughs> to say the least. But interestingly, here's a segue for you, Steve. It does The book also goes into English football at the time and goes into a, a little bit of why we ended up with the Premier League. And that's because it really was the sort of dark days... The mid 80s and how Italia 90 sort of led directly towards the Premier League and football saving itself a little bit from itself. So there you go. There's your segue. Relevance.
0: Right. We'll see you next time. Have a good one, everyone.
1: See you there.